Hello and welcome to The Marvel Wrap, a 20-part podcast where we go through the chronological Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in preparation for the Avengers Endgame this April, which is like a week and a bit away. It's pretty, pretty mad. Pretty mad. Um, so m- my name is Simon Gollum and I'm a writer and podcaster and fan of the MCU, but I am supported by our very own Hope Van Dyne, uh, Sabina Stent. How are I'm you? good, thank you. Yeah, I can drive like her as well. <laughs> I like that behind the wheel. So, um, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty stoked to talk about this one. Um, and also, you kind of think, when you came out of the cinema from Infinity War, and knowing that this one was the next one, it was like, come on! Like, so it's kind yes. of weird that yeah. <laughs> now here we are having watched it a few times and talking about it so yeah. crazy and then uh, we have our own hank pym <laughs> i'm on war man <laughs> it, Hi, i'm not sure I'm... i think i think the black hank pym works like i'll accept that <laughs> um but uh, yes okay. i i am good i've taken my truth serum as i always do and i'm ready to therefore speak on Atman and the Wasp. Very, very good. We are on the Twitter uh, at Marvel Rap, and we can be emailed at marvelrappodcast at gmail.com. Uh, this week is the Quantum Entanglement episode, uh, and that is going to include Ant Man and the Wasp, Runaway Series 2, all that to look forward to uh, if you're ready for it. Here we go. And the Wasp was released on Thursday, the 2nd of August in 2018. Uh, it took $623 million worldwide, which, you know, I found a bit weird because I kind of thought, you know, it would have the Iron Man 3 effect where when Iron Man 3 came came out straight after Avengers Assemble, everybody was there. And I thought that would happen because of Infinity War and everybody would go flocking to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, but it didn't do quite as well uh directed by uh peyton reed um you know this is uh we're we're recording it early obviously this came after infinity war infinity war is our next episode but of course the vast majority of ant-man and the wasp takes place you know i think i think before do we, yeah. should we say? yeah i think yeah. before That's what infinity I think. war um it's only really that end bit uh, which, which was quite, uh, which is the, which happened post Infinity War or during Infinity War. Um, so, Amon, I'm curious uh, where Ant Man and the Wasp. We, were you excited about it? Because I feel like everybody was, but maybe that was just me. I was not uh, that excited to see Ant Man and the Wasp for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, you alluded to, we had just had Avengers Infinity War, which was this gigantic movie in which gigantic things happened. And the way in which that movie ended made you really want to see what happens next in that story, not really take a time out and go and have an Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. That's no offense to those characters, but that's just the way I felt. And I think uh, that was echoed by many other people. The second thing is that if you remember, because the World Cup was happening last year, we in the UK actually got Ant-Man and the Wasp two months after the rest of the world got, got it. So yeah, so th- it was very annoying, and yeah, it was, it was so, so like annoying. any uh, any hype annoying. which would have been built up when it was released in the US 
had long since dissipated by the time it finally got to the UK. Um, so it, this, I, this is this is why this is why I don't watch football. I mean, I'm just against football. <laughs> God yeah. damn you, football people <laughs> of the world. <laughs> so so yeah, by the time I, I, I lost World's Round, I was not that hyped really to see it. Um, and as for the movie itself. I came out thinking it was just fine. I may have even been a little bit underwhelmed, uh, to be honest. I mean, it, it does a lot of things well that it did in the first movie in that Paul Rudd is still charming, um, in that Michael Pena is still hilarious and, and gets him some great bits to do, in that Evangeline Lilly is you know great and I like that she gets more to do. In this one, we should mention, if it wasn't already obvious, that uh, this is the first MCU film in which a female character has been a title character, and Evangeline Lilly does well in the action department. She proves, proves herself a very capable action heroine, and I'm excited to see her team up with everybody in Avengers Endgame very, very soon. But for me, the plots never really coalesced in a satisfying manner. We'll get into detail on, on that um, you know, as the podcast goes on. But, but that was the thing I felt. I didn't think it was very well edited at points. But for me, the thing which really... Uh, frustrated me about this film is that even though Evangeline Lilly, as I said, is great and she's great at the action part of her role, we don't really get to know more about her on a character level in this film. And considering that she is a titular character, I think that is a big mistake. Also, the fact that Scott and Hope seem to be in, well, well like they're, they're in a relationship, but we never really feel anything for them. At least I uh, didn't. Because if you remember, the first film ended with them sharing the end of a kiss <laughs> that we see in a very funny manner. And this film starts with them sort of, you know, on the foots. Obviously, the, the MCU, you know, they're, they're you know, films and they can't always fill in the gaps of what happens, you know, in between. I think that's something that the, the Disney Plus service will help out with in the years to come. But I think it's especially, you know, apparent with Scott and Hope and that we don't really see how the relationship has developed at all. All the things that you're meant to be feeling for them, whether they're, you know, on the fritz or whether they're, you know, you know, trying to get back together and then when they're eventually back together, you don't really feel the full impact of those moments at all. You know, there's there's lots more to get into, but just um, sort of as, as a summary, those, those are my uh, sort of, you know, broad thoughts on uh, coming out of Batman and the Wasp. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember before Ant-Man and the Wasp came out, I thought to myself that what what might happen is we'll have some crazy film where the stakes will get higher and higher and higher. But then we'll see Paul Rudd like in the middle of or Scott Lang in the middle of like some unwinnable situation. And we're all thinking, oh, my God, how on earth is he going to get he's going to die. And then suddenly the villains will all turn into dust around him or something. <laughs> and then it would be like, oh, it would be like, that's amazing. Because, it, you know, just cut this huge link mid-film, which would change the nature of the film. So that's how, so I thought that was the potential of this film. But, you know, but I do, I, I but it didn't live up to that. Um, what about you, Sabina? What, where were you, how were you feeling about this film going in? I was really excited to see it. I mean, obviously we had like the tumultuous um, experience of Infinity War. I was very excited to see, you know, a woman co-headline a Marvel film. I admit that there are plot holes. There are things that they, they don't necessarily do as well as they could have done. I do think it was a nice 
I don't want to say a nice breather because that's the that's the the wrong um, turn of phrase. But you know, we've had Infinity War, which is very intense, very heavy, and it was nice to go back to these characters for something a little bit more upbeat while we wait for for Endgame because it would have been quite an intense experience to do Infinity War and Endgame, like one after another. It would have been fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's it was nice to have like a little pause, revisit these characters, and see how they were affected. Mm. Yeah, no, I I think they they obviously did this when after Age of Ultron they went straight into Ant Man. Yeah. That was the next film after Poor, that one. I yeah. thought that worked well. Paul Rudd is the palate cleanser <laughs> to have to like something yeah. a little bit darker, a little bit more um, brooding. So he he just has that kind of lighter lighter touch of energy. So let's get into the story here. So the setup is Scott Lang is under house arrest. So there's that whole situation, which very quickly, because this is all regarding the Sokovia Accords, which of course goes back to uh, uh, Civil War and how he, by going to Berlin and helping out, that broke the Sokovia Accords. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, Hank and uh, Hope, they're equally, they've broken the law too. So they're also on the run. Um, you know, th- though they weren't, they weren't found. But of course, they've got a whole thing going on, which is you know the mum, uh, Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, that they, because of what happened at the end of Ant Man, Hank Pym realizes there's a way to save her. So the, they're all on this task to find Janet or get the resources to be able to go into the quantum realm and pull Janet Van Dyne back out. Simultaneously, we also have. Uh, Ghost or Ava and uh, Bill, played by Lawrence Fishburne, and their quest, the, 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 the quest to cure her, and they, she's trying to go to the quantum realm because that's what's going to cure her too. And, and then you then you also have the gangsters with Walter Goggins, who he's Goggins. trying to, well, yeah, like they're trying to get steal things as well. And of course, then you got Luis and all their their crew and the XCON business, which seems to be in the middle. So you have like a lot of things going on in this film, and it it gets very. I just think it gets too busy. It's just not as tight as that first one because there's all these different things going on. And though the characters are likable, so I like watching it and I like what we're doing. And I like the people we're with. It's just too busy, and I think that's what I, that's what that's what I kind I of felt. Yeah, that's fair. yeah, very fair assessment. Because there is a lot going and the on. Podcast, bye. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. No, you, you you put it in a in a lot in a lot better concise way than I did. I don't mind that there's too much going. I don't mind if there's a lot going on. If you, you know blend those subplots together in this satisfying way, like I don't mind that. Even though, like you know, we just had Infinity War, yes, and obviously that was a very very big movie and gigantic movie in every sense of the word. I don't necessarily mind that you, you know, have small stakes in your follow-up movie to that. If those storylines don't mesh in a satisfying way, then the fact that your film does have small stakes sticks out more and not and, and not in a good way. But I think that I mean, it, I mean, you know what I loved about the first one is also the kind of the size, the honey, I shrunk the kids kind of element. And I feel like there's a lot of really fun sequences in this. Um, in particular, the high school 
sequence when uh, Scott Lang is shrunk, yes. but not quite too small. So he just he looks like a kind of I don't know like a toddler, but it's a man. It's very weird, uh, and he's kind of running around. So that's a very fun sequence. I love things like the dinky car holder for all the different cars, which he just throws out there and then he picks up, and and the block of flats that the lab, as it were, that shrinks yeah. down. I mean, these are just these are fun things to be around. I mean, when when I started watching it, these are the things that come up in the first half of the film, and it's like, oh, these are these are really great. I think the busyness only is a problem when you get to the end and you're just kind of a bit like, get on with it, crikey. You know what I mean? Whereas at the start, you think they're setting all this up, but it's just it just sprawls out and out and out and out, and that, that's where it gets so a bit lost. I like as well the, the little references to, because obviously um, Scott's always thrown, oh, yeah, Cap. Oh, yeah, Cap, because he's met Cap wands he keep he's acting like and uh that bit in the school when hope says yeah. well what if cap could see you now <laughs> you know looking like a tiny little toddler which is very very funny because um i, I, I don't want to say he has this kind of oh yeah i i work with captain america but obviously it's uh it's it's so it's so it's so seamlessly done every the way it's shot the way he's when he's that he is in that shrunken form and he's running down those stairs yeah, <laughs> yeah. With this, and then when he jumps in the car and he can't get on the chair like you, you know you can imagine a different director would kind of cut away from the more trickier shots or or find a creative solution but it's like the way Peyton Reed decides to literally frame it and and just make sure that it looks right and it does so it's quite satisfying let alone the big items which they the, the items which they throw yeah. like the salt shaker and the uh, and the pez which suddenly get big as well that's a lot of fun uh, as well that, that that's always my highlight is the the way they play around with the kind of size thing that's always mm. what I, I enjoy about the Ant-Man films it's why I always enjoy them I think you know yeah, no, they they are hard to dislike, um, but also hard to love. I think. Um, I can't. Im- I can't imagine anybody saying this is their favorite one. Oh, you'd be surprised. I've met those people. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. How, what, what's their defense? Well, just that, like all the things which you said that you like, they love basically. Um, and and to this film's credit, there. I mean, the the, the family stuff is, which is something mm. which, which worked that worked really well in the first film also works really well here. I do like at least the idea of what they're trying to do with um, John Hannah Cammon's uh, character. It's uh, she, she plays Ghost and sort of the way in which they sort of tie her sort of, you know, emotional trauma of her past uh, and develop that, that arc out has really, really good moments. But even then, you know, I don't feel like Lawrence Fishburne is used to his full effect. Um, I know that they don't use Michelle Pfeiffer to her full effect. No, they Honestly, do not. If you got Michelle Pfeiffer in your movie, put her in your movie. Good grief! Um, I, I think I, th- I think they're saving her. I think she. They, this is her introduction. I think we'll see more of her in the next Ant Man film. Maybe other things as well. But I think you know this is her introduction. Did you see that? Um video that little clip michelle pfeiffer on instagram she found her catwoman whip and she's being like you know wheeled it on instagram i, I saw yeah. and and um i was i said you know is this how janet van you know, <laughs> van dyne defeats thanos you know with catwoman's whip because they obviously we know that she's in endgame because we assume she's in endgame we have heard whisperings that there was a massive you know, yeah. group photo and everyone. Thank you, Sebastian Stan. Yes, 
that, that only yeah bolsters my opinion that I do think that this is like granted it is yes it's a small role for her but I think it's because there's more in the pipeline you know what I mean like you said if you have Michelle Pfeiffer you don't you don't waste we them. might have two um, who knows I will say this the <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer defeating Thanos with her whip is more of a plausible theory than Ant Man crawling up down his butt which has been getting a lot of play on the internet for some reason Josh Brolin um, loves say, it. I say for some reason, this is the same internet which had, you know, Thanos' thick memes all over the place. Oh, they're still still going on. They're still going on, those memes. I I even saw one in in Parliament where there was Ed Miliband and then it looked over and it was Thanos, like, with his bum showing. And then it showed Ed Miliband's kind of shock response. (laughs) It's even reached the Brexit kind of uh, political (laughs) meme kind of world of Twitter. That niche, niche thing. Um, one thing I, which did cross my mind when I was watching this was how you said Amon in the Ant Man episode how Hank Pym is quite a he's not he's not a very nice char- char- nice person in the comic books. He, he's he's abusive. He's and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, I was thinking in this film he's framed in uh, as a much more sinister presence than I think he was in Ant Man. The first time you see him, he's in shadow, um, and I think. You know, with regards to uh, Bill Foster, you obviously get a lot more interesting kind of sides to him. I think you're supposed to see a parallel between Bill Foster and what he's trying to do and obviously Hank Pym and what he's trying to do and how they're both a bit warped uh, and have crossed certain lines they shouldn't have crossed, as it were. But Bill Foster says that interesting thing. He says Janet was the only one who could tolerate Mm. him. So the idea that this is a guy who, who nobody really liked and actually is maybe not a nice guy at all. Do you think that it might come round and in the third one he will be a much more serious problem and feed into that plot line of the comic book. I don't think they're ever going to go uh, in, in, the, in the route of the comic books um, when it comes to Hank Bim being abusive to uh, his wife and his family. The, the, it's, it's the MCU, it's Disney. I don't think they're ever going to go yeah. that route. Okay. Could they turn him into a bad guy? It's very possible. It's very possible. I mean, we have seen... Um, you know, besides Scott and Hope, there's not really a character in you know that uh, Hank Pym has come across who who he's really sort of you know got gotten along with. I think he, I think he tolerates Michael Pena and Ti and David Dasmashio. I got well, I butchered that name. David Dasmat. I'm not going to try. David. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he just toler- tolerates the the the, the XCon group. He doesn't sort of genuinely like them. So I could potentially see a rift forming. But I say that, and I think about it more as I say it. Whilst they could definitely go that route, I'm thinking they probably won't because family is such a big theme in these Ant Man movies. Um, whether it's the yeah. sort of, you know, extended family now, which um, Scott and his daughter and his ex-wife and his ex-wife's new partner have, which is really, really cute. Um, and now that they've just gotten, um, you know, their full family unit back in terms of Hope and Hank and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, whose name I can't remember. What, oh, Janet. Janet um, Van Dyne. Yeah, Janet Van Dyne. Do them on. Um, I don't think the storytellers will go the route of splitting that family up again, especially with the way that you're suggesting by making Hank the villain. Although this just goes to show you, I mean, I think it was the last episode that I mentioned that, you know, MCU father suck. And this is another example of that very fact. Um, what about, what, what, with regards to uh, Ghost um, and 
oh, Arva by uh, Hannah John Kamen. Yeah. Um, did you? Um, what did What did you think of uh, her, Sabina? Because I thought I thought her kind of twitchy, kind of weird, unhinged, nervy kind of person with every cell stitched back together. I thought that was awesome. I thought she played that yeah, so well. Yeah, it was very um, unnerving even because obviously that you can't. You know, she she is never um, fully present, if that makes sense, at any one time. I thought she was really great. I thought she was a really great performance because you feel this this person who's in immeasurable pain because she can't. You know, she just wants to be cured, but obviously this is being used to to do like more heinous actions i thought she was a really good performance if not a little underused it would have been nice to see her a little yeah. more am i mistaken or the characters male in the comics that is that is because correct yes Reed got masses of stick for casting a woman in that role how dare he how dare he because a lot of fan bros didn't like that he reacted in in a brilliant way he just said well you want to see my cheerleader movie then so um um, yeah because you know you're putting a woman in the in the the first it's taken all this time to get to get women in the headline at least you know m get something else gets another you know character in there reframe the characters and you know we can, they can do that and i think he just used that um initiative to make a change and it pays off very very well there's nothing nothing that i never crossed my mind you know what i mean like that yeah. that would have been the case do you know what i mean like and that's kind of a credit to the the actor you know a credit to the way they characterize the the the, the role but you know what i mean like i don't it's just so, so weird that people get so fussed i mean this is a minor character even then like it's a fictional character wow people have too much time in their hands moaning about stuff like this I mean, I'm sure Disney are worried. I mean, the fact that they, you know, they're boycotting these movies. I mean, how how will Disney cope? How will they recover from from Captain Marvel being such a box office disaster? Oh wait, it was not. Um, <laughs> and it's not. It hasn't even been out a month. Yep, Jesus. And it's yeah. reached that point, and that is a phenomenal achievement. So it just proves you can put women in these films, and people. We'll go, you know, to the fanboys, they will go. We know that, you know, people aren't going to object. Of course, people, why would they? It, it's it's also, I felt there's a lot of things here which are, uh, which hint at a kind of post-Endgame world and a kind of and Endgame thing. So, for example, Cassie, who's amazing, mm. by the way, yes, I, eat, agree. <laughs> I eat fear for no. breakfast. That that literally I, that's what I want my daughter to be saying uh, when she grows up. Um, I, I would she said at one point, "I wish we could shrink for real." When she says that, there's something about the way that's shot, which is like, you know, I'll bet she will be able to shrink for real. I feel like that's going to happen. That's going to come. She's definitely somebody who's going to have more stuff in the future. The out the Hank Pym is wearing obviously that quantum realm mm-hmm. outfit at the end. It's definitely the one from the trailers, isn't it? It's the same one that the, the end game guy, you know, like Captain America, and all that crew are wearing in the end game trailers. Am I right? Um, yes, you are completely right in that. That is a white suit and very reminiscent to the white suits uh, we have seen in the trailers for Endgame. Uh, and you no, know, it's just one big sort of clue as to 
uh, that points to them going back into in time. The other thing is uh, yeah, Hope mm. says when Hope kind of talks to Scott about uh, going to Berlin, and she was like, you know, you should have asked me to come and all that, and you know, I guess we'll never know and all this kind of thing. And I was like thinking yes. that might be something they'll do. What if Hope was in Berlin? And we'll see that play out and how that would have happened. And maybe there'd be an alternative reality in Endgame on that. Because that would, the bear in mind, that was made, of course, when they were making, you know, the other film. So they would have been very easily, that would have been a very easy thing to make happen if that was going to be on the cards. It's a very good film to watch at this point, especially in, you know, when we're two weeks to Endgame. It's a very good film because, as you say, there were all these tiny little things at the time, not relevant, not necessarily hugely relevant at the time even post um, Infinity War. But now, having seen the trailers and the little you know, teasers, one-minute teasers, we're sat there looking at every little clue. And then during the rewatches, things do jump out at you. Did the Quantum Realm suit? Um, and these little lines, it's all about the dialogue in this one because it's all what's happening there, all the subtext, um, what could be. Yeah, and I, it was, another thought: Why don't they ever use like an ant killer spray? Like, because you know nothing. what I mean. Like, if there was like, like you know that bit when uh, Bill Fosty like looks under the unit to f- reveal that like all the ants are like pulling yeah. out all the leads, and he's going, "Oh no, Hank's done it again." If he just had an ant spray, he'd just be like, Shh, and they all die. Have, do you have ant? Just go back in. Do you have ant yeah. spray to hand? To hand? Not no, ah, not to hand ah, now. No, why not? Simon? In the kitchen. Why not? In the kitchen under the sink. You know, <laughs> like I'm Simon. just saying. And then again, if I had, if I knew the person I was like trying to, if I knew Hank Pym was out there and might be the type of person who might thwart my plan, I would probably keep one on hand. Yeah, definitely. That seems like a obvious thing to just just have, just in case. <laughs> Well, you know, you've been no fun in these films, wouldn't you? You get out your bug sprays, (laughs) (laughs) fly swatter. Oh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorted. Yeah, two minute film. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. End of the movie. Um, Okay, shall we get into uh, the costumes, Sabina? Before we get into the costumes, uh, do you remember when um, Evangeline Liddy was doing the press tour for this and she was killing it on the press tour because she really, really got into into this role and she, by all accounts, loved it. She seemed to absolutely relish this opportunity. I have been hearing Marvel male superheroes complain about their suits for years and I got on to, into my suit and I was, you, you know, wearing it, working in it, doing my thing. And I was like, it's just not that bad. I just, do I have the most comfortable suit in the MCU or have men not had the life experience of being uncomfortable for the sake of looking good? And they're just like, what is this? This sucks. Why are we, why? Why do I have to go through this? Whereas a woman's like, I don't know, it's like normal. You know, I wear heels to work I'm uncomfortable all day you get used to it you tune it out I love you you're awesome (laughs) you're just amazing great to see you that's it put her put more women in these uniforms and they won't moan about them that's true that is true i remember seeing that i loved it it. so again yeah it was louise frogley who did the costumes who we spoke about for iron man 3 um homecoming as we've said on all of these you don't have just have the principal cast um you have the stunt people and the doubles and you have to work on absolutely everything 
um, the costumes had to be light, had to be manoeuvrable because it's a lot of physical actions, lots of fights, lots of morphing really on, on this one. So it's a very, very long process. Um, the intention was to make Wasp elegant, but mostly self-contained. So she couldn't, be, she couldn't look too bulky. She just had to be very, her suit had to look as agile as hope. <laughs> there was something at the time that there's um, a kind of a outline on um, Hope's wasp uniform. Um, it looks quite a lot of phallic imagery if you look closely. And the internet <laughs> really picked up on this. Um, yeah, that was quite a talking point for a lot of this uniform. And I think people kind of took, took that away from it more than anything else. But aside from that, um, in her civilian uniform, it had to be quite, quite, you know, quite a small, quite like a capsule wardrobe, as we would call it, because she's, as you said, she's a fugitive pretty much for this time. So it just looked like had they had they could be clothes that she could just put in a backpack or put in a small bag and be able to to run in. For them, you know, she can run yeah. in heels. So they they put her in, which again, telling Balenciaga wrestling boots, which she wore throughout the whole film, which were apparently extremely comfortable to wear. So she she just loved those. Again, Paul Rudd in you know jeans and t shirt because she said that ties into his character. He looks good in them, so we put him in that dressing, dressing gown. gown as yeah. Pajama, the, the, pajama the uniform of freelancers out there. So she said there's often, she said, obviously there's like a need to, as you were saying, the quantum realm uniform that we saw probably at the end of, of this one is not necessarily the one that we'll see in Endgame because they make new costumes each for each film. Necess- they don't use the same costume because of all the takes or the action sequences. You know, the uniform will get it'll get tired looking. So that's why there's always a need to do um, new ones for every film. I have a question, Sabina. Okay. Which, which wasp costume do you think is better? The wasp costume we see in this movie or the wasp costume Ooh. that was teased at the end of Ant-Man. They're very different, aren't they? Are they are very different. And I think the costume teased at the end of Ant-Man looks a whole lot better. Yeah, I kind of, I was excited for that. I thought, I don't know if they tried to make her look a bit like a team uniform with alongside Ant-Man, so they didn't look too dissimilar. Or maybe she wouldn't upstage him. I think they just tried to gain some sort of, um, equality between the costumes, but also they apparently they were told that br- the brighter costumes don't look as good on screen, or people don't like brighter costumes on screen. Think about think about the old X Men, Brian Singer, every X Men character in black. Yeah, so, <laughs> but because of, I don't know, if maybe they tried to turn around because of that. But I did notice that myself, and I was kind of it's definitely it's more wasp like if that makes sense. It is a lot more wasp-like. Yeah, bring back that costume, definitely. Before before we get into the score, there's a point I, I was going to bring up at the start and I forgot. Do you think this should have just been... It, in many ways, it, it, you could have told this story, and it kind of is told, and it is the wasp story. I mean, it's, it is about Hope finding her mum. You know what I mean? Um, Scott Lang is kind of just 
along he just happens to be there and of course you know the mum kind of does the whole thing where she kind of tra- communicates through Scott Lang but I mean I don't know I'm not I, I'm I you could argue that maybe some of the problems are because it's Ant-Man and the Wasp and not just the Wasp just give her her own film I she could have carried it but this one said but Kind of is, but yeah, it kind of should be. I, it almost hints at I don't that, even, that it should. Do you be. think they couldn't? They felt that they couldn't bring in. They couldn't justify her having her own film when she was. Well, it, it's an. I mean, they were making an Ant Man sequel, aren't they? Yeah. So I mean, I can't. That's, and that's they were saving it, the big female lead for Captain Marvel as well. Yeah, but the story. Yeah. But the story, when you break it down, is her. hope. Yeah. I am. I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't think you need to give Wasp her own solo film. I just think you need to take out one, maybe two subplots in this film and just allow all the things that you have going on for you to breathe and develop more. And that would have been fine. You don't need to, you know, give the Wasp her own solo film to to do that, I don't think. Ant-Man and the Wasp, they are a team and there's, you know, a lot to play with and to explore with that dynamic. And they don't do that in this film, which is, you know, as I said, one of its issues. Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is, you know, you know, the first MCU film which has had sort of like a duo, um, you know, as as the title is something unique and different in the MCU. And it's something mm. which, if they, you know, did it right, could have been a lot more satisfying to to just uh, give Wasp a, a sort of film, which, you know, I wouldn't have minded, um, would detract from, you know, a potentially really satisfying, unique story. It's just that in this film, they've got too much going on to really, as I said previously, give Hope that character development that she sorely needed. I, I think, you know, do you know what? I think you've kind of won me around. I think ultimately there's something, you know, in it. if you were to make a third one, would it be Ant-Man and the Wasp something? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or Ant-Man and the Wasp something. You know what I mean? It's part of, and that is ultimately what it is now. Um, that would be absolutely fine as well. You know, I just thought in the case t- 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 this story, it seemed to feel often more like her story than it was his anyway. Um, but okay, that's just me. Um, okay, Amon, score time. Yes, yeah, so Christoph Beck, who scored the first Ant-Man movie, is back again. And if you remember uh, what I said about the first score, Christoph Beck's theme is one of the best themes in the MCU. It's so perfectly fits the character and just gets the essence of that character down to a T. Uh, so I was excited to hear what he would come up with again uh, for the sequel. And I think it's just as strong um, in many respects. The score and the film opens on uh, a track, um, It Ain't Over Till the Wasp Lady Stings, which is uh, it's Gacchino-esque in, in what he's doing with the, with the title track there, which is great. Um, actually, as I look through the the score there there are a lot of uh, really clever named uh, tracks which are fun um, but yeah that that track is you know a great start to the score and there are numerous highlights within um, you mentioned the scene earlier in the uh, in the pod uh, Simon uh, with uh, Ant Man going back to school and sort of you know being you know stuck as a you know in, in tiny mode and you know, a large part of why that scene works so well is because of the score. Uh, the track is called World's Greatest Grandma, and it's like an 8-bit version of the Ant-Man theme. And it's, again, yes. perfect for that sequence. It just really, really works. I would say it's the best track on the score. Were it not for 
uh, its end credits track, which is uh, called Anthropody, and it is just fantastic. It's sort of it's the Atman theme, but it starts off with a piano and it just builds and builds and builds until the last couple of minutes where the full orchestra is going ham on it. And it really, really, really works. It's my favorite track on the album. And it was one of my favorite tracks of 2018. It was in my uh, favorite track of 2018 countdown. It is that good. The other track which stands out for me is Cautious as a Hurricane, uh, which is a really, really fun track. It's a, it has a really nice build to it as well. Um, there is a lot of that, um, you know, MCU score problem where the music isn't bad, but it's just there. Um, it doesn't really stand out. And, you know, as I've you know, mentioned before, my process when it comes to listening to these scores is to sort of listen to two, three, four times and sort of five star tracks which really stand out and speak to me. And there's not a lot of that in this one. But the ones which do stand out are really, really good, as I mentioned. Um, I highly recommend seeking out Anthropody and getting yourself familiar with that track because it is sensational. The end credits tracks mm-hmm. are always so much fun. I feel like in a lot of the films, they have these great end credits, you know, music. I mean, ultimately, that's when you're just sat there in the cinema waiting for the post-credits <laughs> bit. So it has, to, it has to be good. I don't know about uh, you, but Simon, but I stay because all those people put in the work and they deserve to be <laughs> acknowledged, Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That too. That too. That too. <laughs> um, okay. So, with regards to final notes, uh, one note I'd like to say is how I loved seeing the 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 bigger family, the wider family of uh, the La- Scott Lang, and obviously Bobby Cannavale and uh, the brilliant Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Also uh, needs more to do. Of course, I mean Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale, and then and the kids and, and Cassie. Like it's it's such a great thing to. It's so rare, isn't it, that you see divorced parents who are actually civil and you know care for each other and are doing everything they can for the sake of the kid, and they all get along and it's fine. Like you know what I mean. In the context of Ant Man and the Wasp, less so in Ant Man. In fairness, um, but in Ant Man and the Wasp, mm. it's literally you know they all get along. And that's fine. And despite the fact that they've separated, you know, I, I, I love seeing that. I feel like that's something that you rarely see in films. If the parents are separated or divorced or whatever, it's normally such a massively bad thing. Whereas clearly uh, these guys are fine. One thing Mm -hmm. I'd also did love and I do have to shout out. And actually I remember tweeting that he was the MVP of the movie. Vandal Park as Jimmy Wu, the FBI agent is absolutely hilarious. Oh yeah. when he's explaining to Scott's daughter why he's sort of you know under house arrest, it's one of the one of the funniest moments in the film. It's also it's it's also it's also brilliant because he says it all. But on the one side, it's like it's a funny joke. Uh, but on the other side, it's like great way to kind of actually explain everything in detail. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Now I I also love the um, the fact that <laughs> everyone is so taken with Scott's magic, especially Jimmy Woo. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, one of the best sight guys in the film is that he's, he's looking up uh, how to do Scott's magic online when somebody yeah. walks into his office, uh, which I also found hilarious. So he gets a lot of really great moments, and I was uh, very appreciative of that. They, I just wish it was in a less forgettable movie, because that is what this movie is to me, forgettable. It works, you know, while you're watching it, and it's a fun enough time, a breezy time at the cinema. But it is the MCU movie I've thought about the least you know, coming after, you know, a time when the MCU was really riding high because it was on the run. It was, it was like Infinity War, Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok. That was like three in a row 
and those films were ambitious in various ways. Um, and then, you know, you, you had Ant-Man and the Wasp right after, and it just can't help but feel very minor. No, and that's not only because of the small stakes, but just because the story didn't come together in a satisfying way, and it's just forgettable. And at this stage in the game, when Marvel have raised their own standards so high, uh, that was a bit underwhelming to me. Mm, fair, fair. What about yourself, Sabina? I li- I really like it. I like it probably more than most people do. But I like the people in the film. I like the, the characters. Um, I Yeah, I don't think it's that bad or that appalling. I just, I think it's a nice fun one to watch okay so that's ant-man and the wasp um and uh amon and i are going to go to a little uh, room over to the side and we're going to talk about runaways series two after this Okay, so very quickly, Amon and I are going to discuss uh, the second series of Runaways, which is which is ridiculously recent um, and came about. And if you remember, Runaways was that series about a group of rich kids who ran away, uh, you know, uh, and only at the end of the first series did they become Runaways. Um, Amon, have you been excited to see this series? Excitement is not the word I would use. It would be more intrigued because... Even though the first season ended on, I wouldn't even call it a cliffhanger, but and it ended the way that it ended, I didn't feel much urgency in jumping back into it, um, and that was compounded by the mixed reviews uh, that I skimmed uh, once the second season dropped. Uh, so yeah, I'm still planning on watching it. Unfortunately, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch it uh, before this episode, that we can so we can discuss it uh, in more detail, but. Uh, you know, you you may be able to sway me here. Should I be diving back into this urgently, or should I, or or, or am I good to wait a while? I, I think the thing is with Runaways is that it it's obviously it's very very much its own beast. Its connection, obviously, in terms of the MCU as a whole, like uh, Cloak and Dagger and the first series of Runaways, is limited at best. There are some nice moments though. Uh, at one point, uh, Molly kind of has an outfit that seems to quite purposefully link to what Captain Marvel wears. She has a kind of blue and red uh, hoodie and that yellow, a red star, which is quite clearly similar to Captain Marvel. And uh, Nico uh, gets this very cool power where she her eyes basically turn a lot like, it turn into the eyes, you know, what was Mads Mikkelsen's character in Doctor Strange? Cassilius, yeah, so that her eyes look like his eyes when she kind of gets really like powerful with using her kind of staff. So in that respect, there's some more, they feel a lot more prominent. Um, obviously, the kind of clothing is a bit more like you know, whatever, but the fact that she has this kind of look, which is directly in Doctor Strange is quite cool. What is what they do very early on, though, it, which I find very difficult to just overcome, is they kind of they they go out on the streets, and you have this first episode where they're literally homeless. They're on the streets; they have to contend with homeless people who are like stealing the fisticuffs of Chase and all that type of thing. Um, but then they stumble across, and this is a very odd thing to happen. Basically, a mansion inside a hill. Wow. Uh, so That's it, convenient. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Furthermore, they also find a Rolls Royce 
in the garage. Wow. And so, and so this is the kind of world. And I get they probably thought, unlike the first series where they were in their own respective houses, now they don't have a house. They need a base. It felt very um, forced, <laughs> shall we say, to suddenly find this very picturesque, very cool-looking location to suddenly set everything in. I mean, as much as you know, I think the first season of Runaways was a success, I did find it quite slow at times. Can similar be, can similar be said of season two? Um, yeah, I think to some extent. I don't think it's... Um, I, I wouldn't say I was bored. I think that would be too far. Um, but, it, you know, I think there is a kind of... It feels very kind of... We're, we're going through the motions of certain things. They've got things which they've got to do. For at one point, you, you're introduced to a character called Topher, who is kind of a, uh, a kind of guy on the streets. He's got... Uh, and he's got a very similar power to Molly, so he can get very strong. But we find out it's because the kind of stones that kind of gave Molly her power, he kind of just rubs into his skin, and that gives him a very similar power. And he kind of cons them a little bit initially. Um but it's interesting because he's there for a few episodes. So you have like that arc and then it's like, well, that's done. And then we move on. Uh, but what is nice is that you get a bit of closure to the Jonah story. Um, and they kind of expand on it in a way that is unexpected. So it turns out that Jonah, who is, you know, the kind of big baddie in the first film, who is this alien from another planet who is trying to get his ship to go home and all that kind of stuff. When they kill him, it is revealed that he is actually the alien takes somebody's body and then can move from one body to another. So quote, the character of quote unquote Jonah moves to another body and that then impacts on the other parents. And in fact, they release a lot of the aliens from the spaceship who then go into multiple bodies. So then you have lots of different characters who are not quite themselves. Um, which then kind of sets up that dynamic again because some of the parents are these real, real baddies because they're aliens. There's no goodness in them. And so you set up that dynamic between the, the runaways and that their parents, which they definitely can't go back to. Um, so that's, you know, it keeps that element of cool in terms of the location, the sunlight, the way it looks, the music is still cool. The color schemes, I love how, I love the kind of fashion sense of these kids and how defined it is. Each character has such kind of clear uh, styles and that's still the same. But I definitely think there is an element of that it's about having fun. And each episode just being these fun episodes, but sometimes it feels a bit inconsequential and that is kind of dragging things out a little bit too long. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. So so how would you grade the season out of five? Out of five? I think I'd go for a three. Sounds about right. The good things are good. I just don't... Like, there's things like uh, you get flashbacks to, like, the 30s and the 50s and the 70s, so you see how these aliens come around. You, the dinosaur doesn't have very much to do. It's just a shame. Special effects budget. I feel like that's a yeah, exactly. Um, but you you get some interesting things where there are parents who join the runaways and runaways who join the parents. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's an interesting kind of way way that's going to go. Oh, and also you get an alien called Zavin who is a shape shifting alien and he's betrothed to be with Carolina. So. Who knows where that is going to happen? <laughs> but it's all of it. It's just a bit nuts. I think what's it's there's a funness to it, which is which is enjoyable. But sometimes the plots just seem a bit drawn out. Um, but anyway, 
that that that's me talking about runaway runaway series two um but after this we're going to be ranking ant-man and the wasp Okay, we are going to rank Ant-Man and the Wasp. I feel like everyone was a bit... Uh, like I said, it's, no, it's not going to be anyone's top one. It's like a guarantee. And I always feel like that's a kind of mark of... Maybe not a bad film, just a satisfactory film. You know what I mean? Like, passable. Passable film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, Amon, do you want to go first? Where do you think you're going to place it? <laughs> I'm, I'm really worried you're going to be like... <laughs> <laughs> I'll let, I'll let you decide. Do you want to go from top to bottom or from bottom to top? Go from top to bottom because I'm worried how I'm concerned how <laughs> low it's going to be. That's the thing. Okay, here we go. Number one, Captain America Civil War. Number two, Captain America Winter Soldier. Number three, Black Panther. Number four, Avengers Age of Ultron. Number five, Avengers Assemble. Number six, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number seven, Iron Man. Number eight, Doctor Strange. Number nine, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number 10, Thor Ragnarok. Number 11, Thor. Number 12, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number 13, Captain America, The First Avenger. Number 14, Ant-Man. Number 15, Iron Man 3. Number 16, Iron Man 2. Number 17, Thor The Dark World. My goodness. Number 18, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Number 19, The Incredible Hulk. Wow. Wow. And this is not a film which I don't like. I'll probably have to clarify that very much. It's just personal preference. It's just... It's just possible to me. Again, it's the MCU film I have thought about the absolute least. And, you know, that is... I wouldn't say it's a problem, but it's just, you know, it's the way it is. And it's it's not a bad movie. Um, But, yeah, I was underwhelmed, clearly. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, It is the only sort of phase three Marvel movie which is ranked outside the top ten. It's just weird, I think, when... Because I think... I don't necessarily disagree, but that means, I guess, the bar in terms of good and bad is literally between, for you, Amon, Incredible Hulk is bad, is a bad film, and no, then everything no, else is good. No, I, I, I have never... Don't put words in my mouth, Simon no, Corrin. No, the Incredible Hulk is not, bad, is not a bad movie. So none of them, just literally not a single one, you think is a bad movie? No, I've said this. I've said this in okay. previous podcasts. Yeah. I don't think MCU, okay. the MCU has made a bad movie. It's just... I like the movies on varying degrees. This uh, is my yeah, argument and, as well. You know, and the Incredible Hulk is, you know, very, very, you know, it's the it's the MCU movie that I've I've least liked. But that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Um, you know, I've still, yeah. you know, you know, enjoyed the, all of these movies to varying degrees. But Ant Man and the Wasp, um, you know, I I chuckled through it. It was fine to watch, but it's so forgettable. Um, like I, I, and I haven't sort of rewatched it sort of uh, since. And hmm. you know, yeah, I, I thought, well, I, as, as I said, I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp was the only MCU movie I've only watched once. Um, and I've had yeah. ample opportunities to rewatch it and I just haven't really felt like I wanted to. Um, yeah. And again, I say this, <laughs> I say all of this while saying one, one more time again, for the record, is this mic on, Ant-Man and the Wasp is not a bad movie. But this is the way I feel about it. I'll be very quick and I'll go from the top. Civil War number one, Avengers two, Black Panther three, Winter Soldier four, Guardians of the Galaxy volume two, five, Thor Ragnarok six, Iron Man three seven, Ant-Man eight, Age of Ultron nine, Spider-Man Homecoming ten, First Thor eleven, 
Guardians of the Galaxy 12, Doctor Strange 13, and Ant-Man and the Wasp at 14. What's, what's below what's Ant-Man and the Wasp for you? First Avenger, How Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, Iron Man, <laughs> Iron Man 2. Because I don't like the lead character. We've established it. I can't. I don't like the lead character. Like you, you can't sway me on this. Like I, I appreciate that functionally it works. I'm not even that mad. That I'm not even that mad at Iron Man. Are you saying that Captain America: The First Avenger is a worse film than Ant Man and the Wasp? To you. I just think with, with, <laughs> I think that answers that. I think, <laughs> it, it, it's a good like it's important I think to justify your positions yeah. and why. Yeah. And I think but and, and I, I think you know obviously we are talking about preferences so it's yeah. not a right and wrong answer anyway. Um I think with Captain America I just say there's just something a bit but bit bit too functional about it, bit too kind of safe play. I don't feel like it's very dangerous. I don't think it tries to do anything like it, it tells a story very well, but like for me, that's it. Like I don't feel like there's anything like even Captain America himself, I feel like Chris Evans is better in, in most if not all the other films yeah i mean obviously according to my ranking he's better you know all the other films he's in is better than that one and i i think off the top of my head that that is how i feel about even chris evans performance i think it yes it's a fine film and it does a lot of good play setting and all that kind of stuff but i mean it's just a fine film i'm not i'm you know where they think all this all the crazy wild stuff with the big and the small stuff in ant-man and the wasp is just so fun and so weird and wacky and surreal i like it you know um that, that's just, but yeah like yeah we are talking about very small things i do think thor the dark world if i was that which is my bottom place i'd probably give two out of five and so that would be me basically saying that that's a bad film i think you know um I think Iron Man and Iron Man 2 is a very unique position. I appreciate that, but, you know, just I can't stand him. Um, <laughs> that's all there is to it. Sorry, sorry. Um, Every time you just, but just, just think of it that we balance out because I, I really love him, so you don't. Yes. That's very, very true. Yeah. Are, you, are you ready, Sabina, for yourself? Yeah, I'm just like, I'm just going to lump it in there and I don't know. I think, yeah, probably... Joint possibly. 18th position. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be that. I don't think it would be joint 18th. Um, I kind of feel that I was a little bit unfair to Age of Ultron, but I don't I know agree. on the day I was like... <laughs> Like, shall I move to Age of Ultron up? Shall I move to Age of Ultron up? I feel like I now? feel like I feel like switching because I'm not that enamored by Doctor Strange, and I like it, but I don't feel it that much. I'm gonna put it tied with Doctor Strange for some reason today because also this is what I I, I didn't go into this. You see, Evangeline Lilly drive. A car. This is what I spoke about on the Black Panther episode. You get women behind the wheel in car chases, have like prominent roles in car chases, and a lot of films don't do that. So I've got to respect a film that does that, and you know, does it quite prolonged and blatantly. So that's why I I kind of give um, this film more marks. It's got Michelle Pfeiffer in it. Let's <laughs> be honest; she doesn't do a lot, but she's in it. So I'm going to tie it with Doctor Strange. I'm going to like move Ultron up a bit. Um, yeah, so bottom third somewhere, like 14th, 15th place. I don't know. 
<laughs> I, like, I, I, I do prefer this way of ranking in fairness to me that this kind of like around the middle place but you know what but you know what i don't i my rankings change all the time as you know they change on a daily basis they change on my moods um just, just for, so, for, lis- for listeners we have a spreadsheet um so sabina feel free to go yeah. in whenever you want and just go. change it and switch it I around will, and we'll give you um, like a, a rough Obviously, when we've done Endgame, I will give you a rough chart of like more <laughs> or top ten. But who knows? That won't either. Four, I would place in the second. <laughs> yeah, I just do okay. because I do. When I don't know, you you must do that. Surely you. Don't, I know you have your I'm, papers, I'm, but the other ones you they fluctuate. I'm more of the main. I, I'm more of the mindset that this is how I feel now. It is not representative of how I feel probably in a year you. you know what i mean exactly. i know like i said I am, effect, what I when do. we when we talk about when we do infinity war because i think a uh, chance are we will probably rank end game but um, that'll be a very loose kind of yeah. ranking of that one because of because we'll have just seen it we'll all be excited but i can imagine when i rank infinity war i will then look at how i ranked all of them uh, like before we did the podcast series and see which ones changed okay. because I know some will have. I know for obviously we talked about how Black Panther has gone down one position. I know that much, but I'm not even sure if Avengers Assemble was even in my top five when I originally ranked it. So I don't, I'm not sure. Um, but, I, you know, I'm curious to see that. So like I got no problem ranking him wherever because I know that effectively when we finish this podcast series, it'll all pretty, it'll all change. Definitely. You know, it'll change. It'll change, yeah. Change tomorrow. But okay, uh, so that's where we've ranked Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, you, Sabina, where can people find no, more I'm of your work? I'm on Twitter at Sabina Stent, um, and you can find links to my work there. And just me talking about Endgame for the next couple of weeks and afterwards. So, yeah, send me, and send me first tweets of Steve Rogers, please. <laughs> that's all, that's all need. she needs in preparation yeah, for Endgame. Uh, <laughs> what about what about yourself, Amon? Where can people find you? Well, I was in the quantum realm. <laughs> You're taking my line, dude. Get up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, disgusting. <laughs> Damn, I'm becoming predictable. This is not good. I was going to say that I was chilling in the quantum realm with Janet, but now she's left me, and I'm all alone. Um, oh, it's, it's not fun. Um, I'm also on Twitter at a woman. Okay, I'm on screen. I'm on Twitter at Screen Insight, and obviously we're all on Twitter at Marvel Rap, and we'll retweet and tweet things out uh, from there. So please do follow us, um, and you know, ask us questions and get involved. This is like we're right at the end now. Um, you know, one, 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 which we've seen before, and then the big one. It's pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Okay, um, and we will uh, speak to you soon. Uh, bye.